Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. When we think about what does it mean to heal our original attachment wounds, you know, we didn't get that connection with the land for whatever reason, whether it was dispossessed from indigenous folks, which has created so many other social issues before going with our caregivers. How can we reconnect with the land to heal that relationship that we may have never had? You're listening to the Good Dirt Podcast. This is a place where we dig into the nitty gritty of sustainable living through food, fashion, and lifestyle. And we're your hosts, Mary and Emma Kingsley, the mother and daughter founder team of Lady Farmer. We're sowing seeds of slow living through our community platform, events, and online marketplace. We started this podcast as a means to share the wealth of information and quality conversations that we're having in our world as we dream up and deliver ways for each of us to live into the new paradigm, one that is regenerative, balanced, and whole. We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to be heard the most right now, the farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now, let's dig in. doing today mom hello very good i'm sitting out here on the porch outside on this beautiful day you might hear some sheep in the background or dogs or whatever but that's because i'm outside awesome it's a really nice day we were just remarking this morning how before the sun really came up it got really warm again it felt just a tinge little like cool like maybe a little like fall yes it does but i do want to assure everyone that it is still summer you know We still have some summer left. When you hear this, it'll be August 11th. That means we're just barely past the cross-quarter day, which means we just passed the halfway mark of summer, actually. My brother sent me a text just the other day with a video of a very elaborate Halloween display spotted in a big box store. And it was on one of those sweltering hot days last week. You know, the one where, you know, they're going, stay inside, don't go out, it's too hot, danger. And he sent it with a very tongue-in-cheek message. Are you feeling that little bit of chill in the air? (laughs) Which, I mean, just sort of capturing the absurdity of the whole thing. So yeah, it's crazy. And I just want to remind everybody that it is still summer and don't let the pressures of the marketplace pressure you into not embracing the season as it is. You know, we can all look at that and kind of laugh, but we don't have to succumb to it, I don't think. I think we have plenty of time to get ready for Halloween, don't you? Yeah, I sort of feel like we really do have another few weeks of the unadulterated summer where we're allowed to have it be summer. And then the past few years, I've noticed September 1 is when it really kicks into high gear of like, it's fall now. And I just, I mean, I guess it depends on where you are, but I just always take issue with that because September 1st is, to me, not quite fall yet. Yeah, it's still summer too. And we talk about all these things in the new podcast, Slow Living Through the Seasons. Yes. If you haven't listened yet, definitely tune in. It's on the same feed as the Good Dirt podcast. So if you subscribe to this podcast, you will also see the Slow Living Through the Seasons podcast pop up in your feed. No need to do anything else. However, 
if you do love the podcast and you want to support this new project, you can join the Good Dirt Supporters, which is a tier in our Lady Farmer Community Network or online platform. And if you join the Good Dirt Supporters, you get a downloadable and printable slow living through the seasons planting calendar for planting by the signs of the moon, because that's a big topic of what Mary talks about in this new podcast. So if you are hearing this for the first time and you're like, what is planting by the moon? And you're interested at all, you should definitely tune in. Yes. And the first episode was out August 1st. So you can go back and listen to that and then look forward to the next one the first week of September. So we'll be keeping you up to date on that. Yeah. So this new podcast will be published once a month. And every month, my mom will be going over what's in store for that month, planting by the signs of the moon, recipes, traditions, all of that. Great fun. Great fun. So let's move into the episode for today. Sure. Our guest today is Princess Manuel. She is the founder and spiritual herbalist of Luya Healing and Herbs, and she is part of the Soul Fire Farm Speakers Collective. We also had Jonathan McRae on earlier in the summer. He's also a Soul Fire Farm speaker. We love this group. We love Soul Fire Farm and what they're doing. Princess has 10 plus years of community organizing for land, women, and liberation. She has descended from farmers, community organizers, nurses, and traditional healers from the Philippines and has worked as a mental health clinician and social worker for the past seven years to support survivors of generational and present-day traumas. Through Luya Healing and Herbs, Princess serves as an herbalist, spiritual life coach, and shamanic practitioner supporting clients to reach their health objectives through plant and animal spirit medicine, ancestral technology, somatic healing, and psychoeducation. Always, our mission here on The Good Dirt is to bring our listeners conversations and information that will help us all change degenerative systems in our culture and help us heal ourselves and the land. Thank you for your work, Princess, and thank you for sharing it with us today. So here's Princess Manuel of Luya Healing and Herbs. Princess Diane Estelilla Manuel, and I am the founder of Luya Healing and Herbs. Within the business, I serve as a herbalist and spiritual life coach, and I also create different herbal lines and sell herbal products at markets and also on our website. So it's been quite a journey. Before I founded Luya Healing and Herbs, I was a social worker and also a licensed therapist. I still practice therapy now, but more on like a decolonizing therapy lens. But before then, I was engaged in a lot of toxic ways of being just because, you know, I've had childhood trauma and then going into the social work field, it kind of, I don't want to use re-traumatizes, but it brings you back to those days and shows you where you need more healing. So as I was in my social work career, I was also a community organizer. I was a therapist. I was doing the most. And so I was like, whoa, what is happening in my life right now? I didn't feel in control. You know, I was misusing substances. I was like, I had suicidal ideation. I was so disconnected from my intuition and my power. And I kept choosing jobs out of the scarcity mindset. Capitalism wants us to think like we have to have these certain jobs in order for us to feel worthy. And so I think what shifted was, you know, I was doing my own healing work. I was like in therapy myself. 
because in working in like Rikers Island in New York, you know, in the jails, and I'm like, whoa, I need therapy myself <laughs> to go into those places and have it bring up a lot from my own background in the communities I come from. Nothing was as powerful in terms of healing as when I actually reconnected with the earth. And I did that with Soul Fire Farm. It's a farm in upstate New York, and they had this farmer's immersion program. So I did that maybe about seven years ago now. I can't, I don't remember, 2014. Oh, wow. Yeah, seven <laughs> yeah, years. Nine years. Maybe longer. <laughs> I don't remember the exact year, but it was a few years ago. Like I needed to do this. I needed to study nature. And I look back and I was like, oh, it's not that I've been disconnected all my life. My grandfather was a farmer and, you know, he would teach me things in the garden, but I forgot all of these things, you know, because I went through the academic institution and they're like, you know, you go to college and then you're either a doctor, lawyer or a business person. And so I was like, okay, let me try to be a doctor. That didn't work out <laughs> initially because I didn't do well in chemistry. I come from a high school that didn't have a lot of resources. So when I got to college, I was like, I don't know what anything in this lab is because my high school didn't have it. And so I was already behind. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to be a doctor. <laughs> Years later, I became an herbalist, right? So studying traditional medicine in, in different ways. But through hundreds of hours of studying, you know, plant medicine and traditional healing and studying under different spiritual herbalists and shamanic practitioners, I learned through like different ceremony that they were telling me like, oh, you know, you you're on a path to be a shaman in your lineage. You know, you have that in your lineage. And not that I'm saying like you have to have in your lineage to practice, but there's a lot of studying that goes behind it. And so that's how I came to start Luya Healing and Herbs in 2020 when I got guidance to actually like you need to offer this to the world. And it's not you know, my knowledge to be shared, but it's like knowledge that Earth Mother wants us to share, right? To reconnect with the Earth, build relationships with plant allies and animal allies and also each other. So in therapy, I study a lot of like attachment, which we'll get into in a little bit. That sums up a lot of what I do, like relationship building with ourselves, each other, with spirit, with the plant beings, the animal beings, your own spirit guides. That is so awesome. Thank you. What a wonderful, like, you know, succinct overview. I'm really excited to get into it. And thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure it'll speak to many. Tell us what you do at Luya Herbs. Yeah, so we offer uh, programming. It's gone through different iterations of names. <laughs> and so we have this program coming up that is a year long where we're going to be teaching about different herbal allies, but also doing holistic healing in terms of mind, body and spirit. So we blend a little bit of like psychosomatic healing practices with like meditation and like guided journeys all towards whatever you envision for your life, right? So I usually have clients do like a visioning practice and then I hold space to kind of process like what are the limiting beliefs and challenges that come up as you kind of move towards that vision for yourself, you know? And the work that I've been doing a lot has come up for different people, which ranges from like, you know, I want to start this freedom school 
to I need help because I'm having issues with my womb space, you know, so it, it, it like ranges. But a lot of it is deeply rooted with generational and also present day traumas that impact the way that folks think, the way that they feel like they can't pursue their unique visions and dreams that's connected to each other and to spirit. And so I really help folks to kind of like move through those barriers and challenges and also like those limiting beliefs because of childhood traumas that keep us from pursuing our uniqueness, you know, and what we're meant here to do. And then I also make herbal products. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You know, that's the fun stuff, too. So you actually make them. Yes. So do you source them from all over or do you have a place where you're growing things or how do you obtain the herbs? Yeah. So when I was in New York, I was sourcing the herbs from like Sacred Vibes. I think there was like Flower Power out there. There was, oh, there was like a Indian store on Lower East Side. I forget the name now, but I I just moved to California now. So I am in the process of like developing relationship with farmers out here and going to farmers markets and like learning like, okay, who's out here who I can source herbs from and get to know who the farmers are. But yeah, in terms of creating the products, like I source herbs and then I kind of create formula and then create the herbal products. And so most recently I created our embodied herbal line. And so I, I practice martial arts. There's so many different martial arts, but my first love was Filipino martial arts, which is a defense-based system. You know, like it's a practice that was used with like protecting from the colonizers. And then it became like an art dance form. And then now I practice Muay Thai. And so in my journey, I'm like, oh, I actually need some herbal medicines for myself. And, you know, so I made like a massage oil, a salve and different other herbal goodies in that embodiment line. But yeah, each herbal line is crafted based on like a specific intention. It's like a amazing creative process to build relationship with the plants and ask the plants like, who needs this medicine? Bring the people to me who need this medicine. And these are all available online. Do you have a store somewhere? Yeah. So I have a online apothecary store on our website and we also do like markets. And so last month, I actually, there was a fight showcase at Mission Muay Thai in Long Beach here in California. That's when I showcased our embodiment herbal line. So it's not up. Yeah, it'll probably be up on our website. It's going to be October. <laughs> so it'll be on our website. It's the apothecary section. Exciting. Okay. So you describe the need for healing of our original attachment wounds. You, this, this is in your description on your website. So can you explain that a little bit? What are attachment wounds? What is a mother wound? How do you think that relates to our broken relationship with nature? Yeah, well, you know, I want to give credit to where I originally saw the term. So I believe it was Doctora Rocio Rosales Metza. And you know how you see these memes that just kind of like go on your Instagram or you just scroll. And I just seen that meme from her and she was like, our original attachment wound is our disconnection from the earth. And she, you know, she speaks from the struggles that indigenous folks and native folks are going through in terms of like colonial white settlers coming and then like extracting the resources from the land. So when I say like original attachment wound, I'm talking about like this disconnection from the land or specifically, I guess, in my lineage, like the push and pull factors of migration, right? And my parents are from the Philippines. And so talking about the different ways that 
we can be disconnected from our ancestral homes because of systemic pressures or different things that like pull people from nation to another in order to meet the need of whatever their industries need, which causes sometimes like what's called like a care and brain drain in the Philippines. Mm. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but when I say like original attachment wounds, that's what I mean. Like, how are we disconnected with our lands? How are lands stolen from people? You know, and what is the grief and the trauma that comes from that, especially when different lineage thrive on being connected with the land, whether it's like healing with the land or, you know, sourcing our foods from the land. When I say attachment wounds, it's a term that I used in doing clinical mental health work where we are born to like our caregivers and depending how they kind of raise us, it can cause us to have like what's called like insecure or secure attachment where insecure attachments could be like, I feel when I get into either like a romantic or platonic relationship, however you want to categorize that for yourself, you have these tendencies of being avoidant or anxious, or it creates these codependency patterns. So I was doing an exchange with someone who also does therapy and she held space for me. And in that space, I was able to go into this meditation. And sometimes when we do like internal healing, especially how the space is held, the facilitator can help you to really connect with different ancestors or guides. And so specifically in that session, I recall like my grandfather, who again is a farmer coming in. And I had the question of, you know, I'm hearing this word like, oh, we're all interconnected. And then I was like, well, what's the difference with codependency and interconnectedness? My grandfather was like, okay, Everything you need to learn, you can learn from nature. And I'm just like, oh, it's that simple, right? <laughs> and so he was like, well, think about it this way. You have two plants. Interdependencies, you have these plants that they can thrive on their own. They don't have to be together. But codependency is when that plant is like just leaning on that other plant and it needs it to survive. And if that plant wasn't there, that plant leaning on it wouldn't survive either. You know, it took me some time to really kind of internalize that. And I was like, okay, learning from plants, seeing how we are interconnected, but codependency means relying on someone else to kind of fulfill all of our needs because we didn't get that met from our childhood. And a lot of families suffer through that. And seeing it in my work, a lot of codependency happens and the work is in, in, in resourcing ourselves internally because we didn't get that when we were younger. When we think about what does it mean to heal our original attachment wounds, you know, we didn't get that connection with the land for whatever reason, whether it was dispossessed from indigenous folks, which has created so many other social issues before going with our caregivers. How can we reconnect with the land to heal that relationship that we may have never had? That's so interesting. And it, it brings to mind the question for me, like in our modern life, wouldn't we all have attachment wounds despite our lineage? Because for all of us, somewhere back, whatever our DNA is, that our ancestors were connected with the land because that's that's how all humans were at some point. So then is all of humanity, or I would say modern day humanity, suffering from this attachment wound? I think the first word that comes to me is belonging, you know, and when I say belonging, I mean a lot of people who are suffering because they don't connect with other people. They don't feel they belong somewhere, whether, you know, and it's different 
for historical reasons, right? Depending on what your lineage is, the history within the U.S. context and how the peoples of that lineage were treated and policies that impacted different, you know, communities of color or people of different class backgrounds or people of different genders. So yeah, the first word that came to me was belonging. People do crave community in different ways. I think this whole concept of like the rugged individualism that was born from these cowboy movies that like went through media and kind of impacted our psyches to believe we're individuals and we shouldn't rely on our communities. It doesn't allow people to feel that belonging, especially when we're made to connect with each other as social beings, right? As part of nature. You know, the other day I was, again, on social media <laughs> and someone else was posting about like the nuclear family and how it's problematic to just have this like nuclear family when so many communities around the world don't have the privilege to just have a nuclear type of system of family. Talk about that a little bit. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. The other day, I do a lot of like exchanges with folks in terms of like, you know, mutual aid and different things like that. And so we're studying the book All About Love by Bell Hooks. And she also talks about this concept of how the nuclear family, if it's structured that way, it can be a place of like isolation. When a lot of communities rely on like extended family or people in the neighborhood to survive. And so this particular post I saw was talking about like it's so important to not prioritize like the quote unquote romantic relationship as the end all be all, which is part of the nuclear family system, but also prioritizing all of our relationships. Indigenous framework, like what does it mean to be connected to all our relations, which is like plant relatives, animals around us, each other, you know, this land, our neighborhoods, our communities, not putting so much pressure on like these romantic relationships as like the thing that's going to save you or whatever. And I think even growing up with Disney movies, that was what I was like, what I internalize, like this prince will save you and that's all you have. I had a question back to the attachment wound, mother wound. Is the mother wound same as an original attachment wound or are they related? I don't know too much about the mother wound. Yeah, well, I was working with a client. We were working on the digestive system stuff. And we were talking about how like when you're in your biological mother's womb and you're growing in there, you're attached to like the umbilical cord and that's how you're nourished and different things like that. The mother wound we were talking about, like when you're born, you know, like what is the generational inherited traumas that you receive because from your mother, right? The wounds that she has held herself. There's this story, you know, the ugly duckling story, which is also in a, there's a book called Women Who Run With the Wolves by Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And she brings up the story about the ugly duckling and like the different mothers that we might, you know, the archetypical mothers, right? Because some folks may not have mothers, <laughs> but the caretaker, right? The archetypical mother caregiver and how when you're born to this mother, like what are some of the inherited traumas she might pass down to you? Whether it's she has her own limiting beliefs. So she feels like I was not able to pursue my dreams. So I'm going to pass that on to you where you have to subscribe to, to these capitalistic structures and not follow your unique calling because you need to survive and you need to get you know, all of these things for security. 
Whereas now I'm finding, you know, after COVID, a lot of folks were like having time to like think about like, what is going on here? What is my unique calling? Like you see a spike with people wanting to be entrepreneurs, right? Or starting their own things. And which is very different than the prior generation, which is all about, you know, you need to have a stable job with benefits and security in this way. And so attachment wounds also speak to things about security, because when you're a child and you're born, you look to feel secure in terms of having your basic needs met, right? your emotional needs met. But for those of us who have inherited generational traumas because of histories of colonization that made us hate our own culture and embrace white supremacy, it makes our parents, our mothers and fathers, our caregivers also pass down those different inherited traumas that they've had in terms of their belief systems, it could also manifest in violence. Right? Like a lot of communities of color, we might inherit being violated in our, like I grew up with a violent, you know, like DV in my household. And I've had to take the time to really heal through that, understand patriarchy, understand how inherited beliefs were passed down and then, you know, was enacted within the home where we're supposed to find belonging and safety. And so when I talk about mother wounds, I'm talking about like, what are those inherited traumas that your mother had to carry? How did she pass that down onto you? How does that impact the way you relate to others? How you create, you know, your relationship with your own children, your, your own creations in life, whether it's like your business or your projects or the work that you do in the world. How does that impact, you know, you pursuing your calling or not pursuing your calling? Yeah, definitely. That's fascinating. So it's related to generational trauma and the sort of passing down of these these really deep seated trauma. Yeah. And, it, you know, I started off saying like I was talking about the digestive system with one of my clients and like, you know, the umbilical cord and the belly button and how we're nourished. And so, you know, when we study spiritual herbalism, one of the things I had to learn about was like the different body systems, but also like the spiritual aspects of the body systems, right? Because when we talk about spiritual herbalism, we're also talking about, okay, like what are also the emotional, spiritual impacts on our bodies and how it's all interconnected. And so, yeah, when we're talking about mother wounds, it's also like, how were you nourished? And how were you malnourished? <laughs> Either emotionally, physically, spiritually. Yeah, that's fascinating. So can you tell us a little bit more about spiritual herbalism and how that looks in practice and how plant and animal medicine are connected to that? Yeah, sure. Let's first learn about spiritual herbalism through, I guess, like the term spiritual herbalism through my apprenticeship with Karen Rose, who owns Sacred Vibes Apothecary in Brooklyn, New York. And so when we study spiritual herbalism, it really means engaging with a indigenous framework, connecting with the plants before taking them, which is a very capitalistic concept of exploitation. I see it, I want it, I take it, it's mine, versus let me build a relationship with it. Let me see if the plant wants me to take it, or is this an endangered plant and maybe I should leave it alone, <laughs> right? Or, you know, I think a part of, you know, we're talking about like attachment wounds and codependency, and I wonder about like capitalism and codependency and how 
These capitalistic systems make us think that we're not enough and we must depend on the system of exploitation in order to survive. When I talk about spiritual herbalism, it means developing a relationship with yourself. A lot of healing work is internal and, you know, as within, so without. The way you treat yourself internally, speak to yourself internally, it's going to be reflected in your behaviors outwards. And so spiritual herbalism is, it's healing work for yourself. It's like getting to know yourself. How do I respect myself? How do I love myself so that I can develop that relationship with the plant world also? And engaging with spiritual herbalism, it means introducing yourself to the plant. I know for some people, I'm like, that's kind of weird talking to a plant that can't speak to me. But you know, plants are alive. You know, they have their own life cycles. You see them bloom in the springtime. You see them die back in the wintertime. And then you see them bloom again. And so that's life, right? They might not speak to you in the way that the human language is, but they definitely are there to communicate with you and support you, even with the medicines that they can give us. The way that I incorporate animal and plant spirits together, I actually, I've always had an affinity for like, animals. Even when I was younger, in my elementary school, they used to have these like weeks where trucks would come in with books and like we would walk into the, I don't know if they're trucks, but like vans. And then they're like books. And then there was this one book that was like, teach me how to be a veterinarian. And then like, I was like, I want to be a veterinarian. But then it never happened somehow. If I was, you know, spirit sent me a lovebird, which is a type of parrot. You might have heard him throughout the recording. There is he that is. who we're hearing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I hear him. Yeah, <laughs> so sweet. You know, this bird stumbled into my life. I didn't buy the bird. We just found him outside our window. <laughs> oh, actually on the street, who probably fell out of someone's window. Ever since I've been stewarding this animal <laughs> or caretaking this animal, I've been learning a lot about like birds and bird medicine. And now I'm like a bird watcher, you know. And so in relation to just like observing animals and plants and going to nature and seeing what lessons they can teach you, a part of my shamanic journey is like journeying with different animals. I know every time like I hold space for folks when I hold like shamanic journeying, you know, visioning practices, there's usually animals involved as like protectors or as like our guides and allies and working with different clients different animals pop up and sometimes it's animals that are sacred specific to that lineage you know i know for me and my lineage i used to really talk bad about the pig you know say bad things about like hogs and this and that and they're bad for your health you know everything you hear about pork but then the message i was receiving is like this is actually a sacred animal in our lineage you know, and so it's interesting how the mistreatment of animals and the way that they're used and not honored and how they're like, you know, offered to us is so different now. Right. And the way that we we're in relationship to those animals are different, too. So, yeah, that's how I kind of like blend the two <laughs> in terms of like working with spiritual herbalism and also like animal spiritual allies and also like physical like in this physical realm of like seeing them and just observing them and the lessons that they can teach. Do you have those medicine cards with the animals, the blue deck, do you know what I'm talking about? I do have an animal, Spirit of Animals Oracle deck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. that's a good one. <laughs> I treasure mine. I've had it many, many years and I, I use it from time to time. 
Let me tell you about what it's like to drift to sleep on a 100% natural wool pillow sourced from regenerative farms wrapped in a lovingly handmade organic cotton pillowcase. Oh wait, I can't. I think it's just something you're going to have to try for yourself. Holy Lamb Organics is proud to carry on a centuries-old tradition of making beautiful textile products by hand. Combining heritage methods with pristine natural and organic materials and sustainable business practices, they bring a dedication to healthy living and the environment. Everything Holy Lamb does reflects their devotion to the planet and its inhabitants. From their supply chain to their manufacturing processes to their facilities management, nothing happens without considering the environmental impact. Most importantly, they're also dedicated to fair labor practices, secure working conditions, diversity, and inclusion. From the farm to the mill to their partner manufacturers, everyone shares the same high ideals of a safe, respectful workplace and environmentally conscious methods. Making good products enables them to do good work. Every time we order something from Holy Lamb Organics, we're proud to support a small town made in America company. You can find Holy Lamb Organics in the Lady Farmer Marketplace. For additional marketplace discounts, you can join the Almanac, our member-supported community platform. Find Holy Lamb Organics products including pillows, sheets, natural wool comforters, and more in the bedding section of the Lady Farmer Marketplace at www.ladyfarmer.com. I want to ask you about the practice of shamanic journeying. We've been talking about this on here a little bit lately since our community in the Almanac read Maria Rodell's book, Love Nature Magic, where she goes on shamanic journeys with the plants in her garden. Have you read that book? Mm-hmm. Oh, you would love it. So her episode was launched a few weeks ago, and she discusses her journeys with the plants in her garden, and it was fascinating. So could you talk a little bit about the practice of shamanic journeying and what are the benefits and how someone interested might find out more about that? Yeah. So I think alongside, I guess, shamanic journeying, it's also a lifestyle of ritual practice. So it's not just just journeying, but it's like this holistic living life as ceremony or as ritual in indigenous frameworks. So my journey with shamanic practices actually began with like my first ritual when I was a little girl. And so, you know, I did a kind of a harmful ritual when I was like five years old with a bunch of other girls. And I we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we're like, we read this thing in a book and we're just going to practice it. And it wasn't good. And I like, I stopped connecting spiritually that way for a long time until I've other teachers who were saying, this is how you do ritual. <laughs> this is how you do ceremony. These are the protections that you need to do ceremony. You just don't jump into it without a teacher. You have to like have someone guide you into that practice. You don't just read a book and you're a shaman, you know, <laughs> like it, it takes like practice and years of studying with folks who have been doing this work. And so when I talk about shamanic journeying, it's based on relationship. Again, it's based on like, what is your relationship to spirit? What is your relationship to the tools you're using in shamanic journeying, whether it's like the instruments you're using? What are your relationships to the deities you're calling in, to your benevolent ancestors, the spirit guides? Have you built relationship with those guides before calling them in? You know, have you put in protections for yourself in the space that you're holding for whatever else is out there in the spirit world? And so shamanic journeying involves ritual practice, which means like for me as a space holder, I will engage in like 
energetic hygiene before I come into the space. I'll engage in like calling in my protectors, my spirit guides before holding space. And then like space was held for me before from like other shamanic practitioners. And so what happens is like usually in the journeys, I will facilitate a space where you can get into like a certain frequency where you feel more calm, you know, you're heart centered. We do like a little bit of energetic hygiene practice and then we call in our guides, call in some protection. What is the intention for the space? And then sometimes for folks, it's easier who have, I don't want to say barriers, but like sometimes we have like an internal critic who starts telling us things and then we're like, oh, this is not real, you know, and then you just, you don't go internally. And so a lot of what I'm saying is like, okay, like what are the archetypes you see in that vision? Some people might actually meet their guides, meet, might meet their benevolent ancestors. And then after visioning, they'll go into the real world and they'll tell me like, whoa, that was so powerful. Like it changed my life. And now I'm pursuing my dream doing this, or this is the first time I connected with my ancestors. Or sometimes after journeying, they'll cry because they've met with someone they just transit, like a family member that just transitioned. You know, you're really going to a space where you can connect with other transitioned folks and for some people, it can be scary, but for other people, it's like, this is what we've been doing in our lineage. This is our way that we connect to get guidance on how to like steward and tend to the lands and tend to our relationships. So, yeah. Interesting. Thank you. All right. So tell us about your experience in community organizing. Yeah, sure. So I organize with a firm, which is a transnational feminist organization that is anti-trafficking of women and children, anti-militarism, and for migrant and immigrant rights. And so we do a lot of work around land, women, and liberation. And so we're talking about like how the history, when you talk about like trafficking women, children, the history of controlling bodies and land, think about like Christopher Columbus and how he came to the shores of Haiti and exploited the Taino women and children, right? And then not only that, but also like, we think about like when the women and children are exploited, we think about the exploitation of the land with like mining and oil dr drilling and fracking and like this discovery of raw materials around reservations, right? That create demand for the commercial sex industry. So talking about women land and liberation, we don't see it as like separate. We see it like the treatment of women is how like the, the land is also treated, exploited, right? And extracted for like their resources, whatever, you know, the, the demand is of the day. Right now we're doing like a little political education around that, doing like more studying. You're doing a little political education in terms of studying, like offering a course or talks or what does that look like out there? Yeah, so right now, we're doing like internal book studying, like study, like a lot of our practice is like how to create theory, but also put it into practice. And so that's where we're at right now. I think we have some work doing these like school of youth activism. So we teach a lot of, you know, different topics around like, again, like anti-trafficking of women and children. What does it mean to like organize for like land, women and liberation what does like motorism look like in your communities or what are the impacts on like 
migration or immigration? Like, what are the impacts of women not having housing because of like gentrification and the impacts on the family? You know, we have the school of youth activism where the youth get involved, like political education, but also like how to organize their own communities and create campaigns that like are really meaningful, meaningful and like how to win those different campaigns to kind of like push the narrative towards that of liberation and anti-oppression. <laughs> wow, that's also important. It kind of sounds a little bit like a type of think tank. Would you say that that is true? Sure. A think tank. What do you define as like a think tank? <laughs> Here we are in I mean, I live in D.C., so Uh, I'm surrounded by think tanks. But yeah, they're organizations that the work is to create, like you were saying, the theory and the do their background research and kind of just create these like pillars of what the work stands on and what you go forward in your work. It's a D.C. word. Yeah. (laughs) I used to actually live in D.C. If you were in Washington. (laughs) Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's a little more than the thing. It's it's, I guess, like, you know, theory building, but it's also like putting that theory into practice also. So what does it mean to take this political education from our embodied living experiences, creating new paradigms that are good for our communities that move us towards relational mending, relationship building, healing, right? Unearth the ways that we've internalized hating ourselves, right? Like having these limiting beliefs, telling us we can't pursue our dreams and different things like that. But also seeing like, what are the barriers, systemic barriers that keep us from pursuing those dreams at the same time? Can you give us an example of taking that out there? Like uh, you're educating on these ideas, do those ideas lead to certain actions or do you just sort of put them out there and let them resonate and so individuals take them out on their own? Does that make any sense? Yeah, you mentioned campaigns. Are there there like big specific campaigns that have come out of this work? Well, I mean, so to answer the first question with what you're talking about, Mary, and I'll get to your question, Emma. So The beautiful thing about community organizing is it's very organic in terms of you don't know what the impact will be after engaging in that action, which is a part of a larger view of what you're trying to accomplish. And so a small action could be impacting one person where they're like, I used to see things this way. And now after having gathered more information about this topic, I feel more empowered to make a decision that is in alignment with how I can thrive, how my community can thrive, how we don't have to oppress women in order to kind of have liberation. And it can go into when you're thinking about different systems, right? Like impacting individuals in that way, it could also mean impacting systems, shifting the paradigm in terms of like the framework, the theoretical framework is let's say like it's white supremacy, patriarchy, capitalism, and that's the theory, right? And that's, we're moving in that direction. But theory building is how do you input a new way of thinking that disrupts that, then choosing a different route and way of going, creating a a different vision of the future. And so when I'm talking about like centering like indigenous framework in terms of our relationships and building relationship with plants and animal allies and what does it mean to approach in in that way, then it's very different than like, I'm going to like, just take this from you, right? Like your body is mine for profit. This land is mine for profit. 
And so, yeah, I think in terms of like the impact, it, it impacts in different ways, psychological of people, but also like when people think a certain way, they're going to impact policies a different way. And then when they impact those policies, how do those policies impact the people? How do they impact their access to housing and food and shelter and, you know, mental health resources to unearth these oppressive ways of thinking or internalize inferiority or internalize superiority? So that's kind of like the impact. Like I mentioned, it's like it kind of organic, right? It could be personal, but it can impact all the way up to policies and the ways that communities are organized. Oh, I just want to say, I just finished a book like today that speaks very much to what you're talking about. It's called Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Samard. And it goes back to her days as a forest ecology student back in the early 90s. And she starts questioning the policies of the Forest Service, which are just completely, you know, we're going to take these trees for profit business and we're going to plant them this way. And this is how we're going to treat the forest because this is how we make the most money. Now, the policies of the forest have changed because of her work for all these years. And of course, the work of others too. She, she wasn't the only one doing this work, but she was certainly a leader in it and has been published many papers and now has published this book. But that's a way of saying that what planting the seed of these paradigm shifting ideas into people and policymakers doesn't happen overnight. And you always don't see immediately where the changes are occurring. So you were starting to say something else. Yeah. So we were talking about, Emma, you asked questions about campaigns. So we're working on a campaign currently. We're still brainstorming it, I think. So right now we're in our like brainstorming phase when we're thinking about like think tank (laughs) earlier, like brainstorming phase, but we're going to be doing something around like women and housing. I don't know the name of the campaign yet, but um, yeah. Cool. Okay. We'll keep a lookout for that. Can you tell us a little bit about the Soul Fire Farm Speakers Collective? I think, I believe that's how we were connected, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So the Speakers Collective What it is, is Soul Fire Farm, we have a bunch of alumni who are on this collective (laughs) called the Speakers Collective. And, you know, during our programming, we've learned like this deep connection with the land, how to farm, also like the history of it, right? Like histories of slavery for some folks or like for my grandfather, maybe like inequitable working conditions. And so the Speakers Collective is of different BIPOC folks who care about the land, who are like earth guardians, who are earth warriors, who do different things in their specific niches in conserving earth mother. Right? Like for me, I'm doing like herbalism and how to heal and so that we can connect to the earth and then help you tap into your unique craft so that it's like it's helpful to you in your communities. So that is the Speakers Collective. Soul Fire Farm has like on their website a list of different alumni who are in the Speakers Collective who could speak on like different topics as well. We'll point people to that. So, Princess, what does slow living mean to you? Yeah. One of the things I've been working on is I am a somatic womb alchemist apprentice (laughs) with Wise Womb Medicine. And Naomi Love is like one of my teachers. And so... We teach a lot of like womb healing work. And so that's very much connected to the earth, earth healing. So when we talk about healing the womb space, 
right? Which can mean like inherited traumas of like ways that our maybe foremothers were not able to speak, all right? Or they hold, held their tongue when there was like sexual traumas, right? And it was just not spoken of because it's shameful in the family. Wise Womb Medicine has taught me and also like what it means to me now in holding space is how to slow things down a lot, especially for folks who have trauma responses of fight, flight, fawn, or freeze. It's very important to slow down and listen to your body in order to kind of find like, okay, what's really going on? Am I triggered right now? Like, do we, how do I come back to my body? Because it wasn't safe to be in my body because of whatever trauma or series of traumas that happened before. And so slow living is like slowing down, you're paying attention to your body, breathing, going outside, connecting with nature, and like also seeing the different ways that nature evolves over time, which requires you to slow down and watch it, to look at like, oh, wow, that tree used to be blooming last week. And now it's like having these pods grow or like different fruits or like different leaves are coming or wow, the butterflies were not coming last season, but now you can see so many butterflies now that are migrating, right? And slow living helps us to regulate our nervous systems. Our nervous system is connected, you know, it's our brain, it's like connected to our spinal cords, it's connected to the ways we control our muscles or the way that our heart functions and the way that the blood moves. And so seeing how interconnected and interrelated all of our body systems are, slow living helps us to really regulate our nervous system, which is so important with stress reduction, which is important for not having cardiovascular disease. <laughs> so yeah, it's like holistic medicine to move slower. Beautiful. I love that slow living as medicine. It's so true. Okay, so what does the good dirt mean to you? Yeah, so when I think about the dirt, a lot of the work I do is like with quote unquote, like shadow work in terms of like going into the shadows and seeing what's there. What are some of the things that we've suppressed because it's been shamed in our society? You know, we're either seeing that like, you know, when people hear dirt, Sometimes it gives this like negative connotation that it's like, you know, it's a bad thing. It's dirty. You know, you shouldn't touch that because it's dirt. It'll give you like bacteria or whatever it is, right? Like don't touch the dirt because it's full of all of these things. But when you think about the dirt, it's also like a place metaphorically that's like fertile of growth and transformation. Facilitating guide folks to go into the shadows and the darkness under the earth in the dirt you can see like, what are the resources here that I have in the shadows that I never thought I had before? Because I've shamed it because I've locked it away. And then when we do that work of unearthing and seeing like what's there, then we can be like, oh, okay. Like, wow, I didn't know I had the ability to be confident. I didn't know that I had the ability to face whatever challenge comes my way, being surrounded by community. Maybe there are plants that like help the other plants grow right? Or the myceliae or whatever nutrients are there. And so the good dirt is seeing that in the earth, there are resources for you, even in the shadows, even if it's dark and you can't see it. Yeah. So both like growing plants that'll feed us, but also metaphorically, emotionally, spiritually of like helping you transform your own life by seeing what's there. Yes. There's a famous Jungian psychologist, yes. Robert mm -hmm. Johnson, who says there's gold in the shadow. Mm. I think you're so on it when you say that 
we tend to associate darkness with the negative. Like you, you can't see it. Therefore, it must be scary or bad or shameful and all those things. But that idea you just expressed about the beautiful things in the darkness, in the dirt, in the good dirt, gold in the shadow, all these things overlapping. It's really a wonderful, hopeful idea. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else as we wrap up our conversation today that you would like the listeners to understand about the work that you do? Yeah. So I have a daily practice where I go to nature and then, you know, I listen for guidance on what people need to hear. And so today when I went to nature and the message I got was tell people that you are love. I think today we've been talking a lot about capitalism and attachment and how because of traumas, we may not have gotten our needs met. So we might search for love in other ways, whether it's through other people, clinging to other people, clinging to different substances, clinging to food, clinging to whatever it is in a relationship that is like, I need you to survive versus resourcing yourself internally with love. And a lot of that is, you know, capitalism wants us to believe that our worth is tied to our career, our job, how much money we make. But just by existing, that should be enough. That should mean we are love, we are worthy of respect, dignity, care, and compassion. And we don't have to like be making six figures in order to to have that. You know, I had these limiting beliefs come up right before I recorded the podcast today. And my partner called me and just reminded me of who I was. And so again, like even the work that I do and as much experience as I have, those limiting beliefs are still ingrained, right? And it takes community care to kind of like help us remind us who we are as reflections of us. So, you know, we need our communities. The earth needs us. And so don't let these limiting beliefs implanted in you stop you from pursuing your heart's calling and desire to be free from these oppressive systems and whatever that looks like for you. If you feel called to work with me, I am offering a discounted session, usually valued at $150 per session, but you know, we'll do a sliding scale of minimum 50. During these times when we hold space, again, I mentioned like I facilitate space for like a visioning process. And so in these sessions, we'll see if it's a right match for like spiritual life coaching to help you achieve whatever that vision that is. And so you can find our information linked on the podcast. We'll definitely link it. Also, if you want to say, if since people are listening, is there like a website title or something that they can quickly or at Instagram? Yeah. To sign up for the session, it's going to be www.luyahealing.com backslash sign up. <laughs> so www.luyahealing.com backslash S-I-G-N-U-P. Yeah, it will be in show notes. I love what you said about we are all love and that our limiting beliefs aren't even really ours. That's really cool. I've never thought about it that way. Like it's something that's actually just around us and outside of us, but it's it's something that we hear and pay attention to, but that doesn't mean that it is us. That's really cool. That's really helped me today. So thank you, princess. Yes, thank you very much for a very eye-opening conversation and interesting and very enjoyable. Thank you for spending the time with us. We appreciate it so much. 
Yeah. Thank you for having me and appreciate your time. Appreciate you holding the space for this message to be broadcasted. <laughs> so yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yes. Tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443-459-1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer, a slow living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at We Are Lady Farmer. That's We Are Lady Farmer. Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.